Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Carl Malhut. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Thanks, Richard. Um, I'm in Salt Lake City, and Carl is in Chicago. And so this is an over-the-phone podcast. We hope that technology works. Right now it's working. Um, Just as a little background on Carl, my friend Carl. Carl is... um, Jewish. He was formerly Mormon. Um, Before that, he'll talk about the Christian religion he was raised in. He'll talk about in this podcast the good that the Mormon Church, LDS Church, brought into his life, even though he felt his path was outside of the church. Neither of us are trying to pull other people out of the church. We're just honoring everybody's journey. Um, Carl is the president of Affirmation. Um, We'll have him talk about the geographic area that he's... Go ahead, Affirmation Chicago, Richard. There you go. Affirmation Chicago. Um, that's And we'll have Carl talk about affirmation for any of our listeners that are not aware. Um, Carl will talk about his journey um, with his sexual orientation being gay. And that will be helpful for all our listeners just to understand the road that Carl's walking. Carl is an undergraduate student and also is a caregiver. And Carl's just become my friend. There's obviously a lot of differences between me and Carl. I'm really old and he's really young. I live in Utah. You're not really young, Carl, but compared to me, you're young. I live in Utah. Carl lives in Chicago. I'm active LDS. Carl has stepped away from the church. I'm straight. Carl's gay. Uh, We may have different political views. We haven't really explored that, but we're both uh, members of the same human family, and we're both trying to talk about ways to bring us together and um, so we can help each other and support each other and decrease the divisiveness that's in society and in religion at times. So that's kind of the focus of this podcast. And I'm grateful for Carl's um, willingness to come on the podcast and the role he's doing um, with Affirmation, being the president of Affirmation Chicago, and also with his career and the lives he's helping. Anything, is that okay for an introduction, Carl? Yes, that's great. (laughs) Tell our listeners, let's start in Florida, where it's warmer. Talk about growing up in Florida and what faith you were in and your journey to come out as gay. Well, I grew up in a very fundamentalist faith, uh, even much more stricter than the church, um, called uh, the United Pentecostal Church or Oneness Pentecostals. Um, I would say our our standards were much more um, stricter than what you would deal with within the church. Um, Men and women were we're expected to dress very differently. Um, at times, uh, if you were a young adult, you were to, you were asked to set separately from like younger women within, uh, the church. If you were a young man, um, our ministers pretty much ruled a lot of our lives. Um, and around the time I was 18, I left the church. Um, I left the church of my childhood. Um, I had graduated from high school in Liberty County, Florida, which is a very Mormon uh, predominant area within Florida. Uh, Most people aren't very aware of it, but it's the most densely populated county in Florida, but it has a huge Mormon population. I think it could be considered a colony unto itself um, or a colony ward. Um, A lot of my friends in high school were Mormon. And I moved to uh, Louisiana um, because my family had lived there before, right after um, 
I left the church of my childhood and moved back with a lot of my friends in Louisiana and got involved with the church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints there, becoming an elders quorum secretary and a gospel principles teacher. Wow. Um, an award in Orange, Texas. You didn't um, just get involved, Carl. You got really involved. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think I was a ward missionary in all the calling games. <laughs> um, not so much focused on a lot of titles in my life right now, but um, yeah. So I was in, with, active within the church for maybe about two to three years. Um, that third year maybe being a little off and on. I had struggled in the church in my childhood with same-sex attraction. Um, and pretty much growing up in the rural South, um, you don't have a lot of religious choices. You have either the Southern Baptist Church, the church I grew up with, the Methodist Church, and most of these churches are more not so LGBTQ affirming. I actually saw Mormons as liberal um, compared to what I had grown up with. And I like the emphasis on knock every door and to think for yourself that I learned um, from my friends and from the missionaries. So, um, Around 21, 22, I uh, converted to the church um, and was active for right at two to three years as an elder quorum secretary and gospel's principal teacher um, within the Orange, Texas ward in, uh, because I lived in Louisiana and that was like the closest ward. Um, for those two years, I struggled with my same-sex attraction and Eventually, I was up for a mission. There was a lot of talk of me going on a mission. And there was also, um, I found out or through kind of the, the word grapevine that there was a girl within the ward that liked me. And I didn't want to put anyone, um, I didn't want to make anyone kind of feel hurt. So I kind of, I just left the church and just stopped attending in totality um, because um because I struggled with the same sex attraction and became kind of the ultimate seeker. And three years ago kind of ended my seeking and became a Jew. Um, feeling a lot of what Judaism and my life kind of correlates together. Um, and it's teachings of liberation. Um, it's, it's teachings on joy and just the, just the idea that Judaism acknowledges the human family in, in, in a lot of the same ways that I would say the LDS church does not exactly seeing it as like an eternal thing, but also kind of more acknowledging it as um, a strength and that we as a human family give strength to each other through time and that each generation should bless the next generation. We have Jewish neighbors um, I, that are great, and I recognize um, the wonderful faith and culture and religion of the Jewish religion and the good it does in the family structure and the, and the community and just so much good there. Um, you know, as I talk to people that were in our church that step away, the, my first reaction is to thank them for all the contributions to our church and the time you served and the good you did. You know, it's not, it doesn't sound like you joined our church and then just came on Sunday, Carl. It sounds like you joined our church and really served and worked with the missionaries and took a calling and taught a class. And you have to obviously during the week prepare to teach a class and considered serving a mission and um, paid tithing and all those things. And so, you know, thank you for what you've done for our church. And even though, you know, you've stepped away and I honor that, 
thank you for what you've done. Um, is there anything we could have done to kept, kept you? <laughs> um, is that okay to ask that? Or are you pretty at peace that this was the right thing to step away? Well, I, I would say, I, I think it was right for me to step away. I don't think it's, I do think it is a spiritual path for other people. Um, I don't exactly look negatively upon the church. I see the church as a very diverse and complex thing. Um, I see the Latter-day Saint world as very complex. Um, I'm in religious studies as a part of my undergrad right now, and, well, Jewish studies. And and part of that is, like, I I love kind of the correlation in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints of how even... You don't just have Latter-day Saints who attend church every Sunday. You also have those cultural Latter-day Saints who may keep the word of wisdom, but may never attend church on Sunday, may just come for general conference. Um, And if you are like many of us um, in the Jewish community, um, just this week, we saw many people we've never really seen in synagogue um, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur just these last two weeks. So um, that that beautiful correlation between both the religion and the cultural aspects. I find very profound, but I also would say, um, I think the the, the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is a proper spiritual path for some people. It just wasn't for me. And I like, I honor that. I I recognize when I meet with former Mormons, some are former Mormons and some sort of are anti-Mormons. And I I kind of lumped those all together, Carl, but then I realized... Anti-Mormons, I don't, I don't know if I'm, this is correct, anti-Mormons not only have left the church, but are very negative to the church and kind of want to draw others out of the church. Um, former Mormons, um, seems like that's who you are, just, you know, somebody who's moved into a different direction and, and like you've just communicated to our listeners, honor people that are in the faith and recognize that's a valid spiritual journey for them. So... Um, thank you for that. And it's part of the introduction of this podcast is trying to find common ground. You know, I guess um, if I'm thinking about my friendship with you, I would make it not agenda based. In other words, I'm not being, I don't want to be a friend with you thinking that you, my friendship with you is just about um, getting you to come back to the church. I would want to you to feel that my friendship with you is based just you're worthy to be my friend and you're doing good things in your life. And that to me is a foundation of a friendship. Yeah. If sometime down the road you felt this might be your path again, I'd certainly be open to have that discussion. But you know, that's kind of the way I am now with my friends that have stepped away or not is I want to be their friend because they're just worthy of my friendship and not because Mm -hmm. I want to bring them back into the church, even though I really believe in the church and recognize it is the right spiritual path for many of Heavenly Father's children. Are you okay with all that? Yeah, I, I would kind of add the caveat okay. um, that I do think, though the church may not be a legitimate spiritual path for some people, um, especially some of us within the LGBTQ community, because um, some of the things that are said out of church leadership at times are very hurtful to us. But I would also say in my work as Affirmation Chicago Chapters president, I've learned um, that a lot of church leaders just want to hear our voice and hear from us and even help us if they can. Um, So um, I see this beautiful kind of gambit out of all of it. I I see you um, as co-partners in creating this better world, I would say, 
Um, but I would also say being co-partners in creating this better world, we have to also acknowledge sometimes our past may not be good for some of for some people, you know. That's so well stated, Carl. Um, I really agree with that. And um, I recognize that my faith and probably all faiths aren't perfect and can time generate pain in its members because um, um, we have imperfect organizational structures um, so I rec- I've learned to validate the pain that LDS LGBTQ members feel at times from the church experience, a talk, um, a lesson, a comment. Um, and if I just dismiss that to me, I'm punting my baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort. And I've learned that it doesn't mean I'm selling out my leaders or selling out my church to just honor the pain that someone else feels, even if I don't feel that pain or may perhaps not see it exactly that way. Um, it is your pain and your experience. And I've learned to hold that pain and honor that pain. And in some ways in my experience that helps heal people and helps them to move forward in a thoughtful way versus kind of having to prove their pain to me. So that's how I've navigated um, that as a committed Latter-day Saint. Any th- is that okay or is that triggering? No, no. I, I, I'm hearing that out of a lot of church leaders over here in Chicago. Um, I, I see us as LGBTQ people as a part of your testimony as church members. Um, actually, one of the first questions I asked our members who consider themselves allies who are still within the church, well, what's your testimony of us as LGBTQ people? And um, I think at first it throws some people off that somebody is actually going to ask them if they have a testimony over that, because I don't think they would expect much language for me, someone out of the church asking that. But um, I also find within it a lot of heart and just a lot of um, very committed um, words towards us um, with a, held within a lot of conviction as far as love towards us as an LGBTQ community. So, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, talk about... Um, Coming out, I I named you, I labeled you as gay. I don't know if that's correct or if it's same-sex attraction. Talk about just your journey um, to come out and what label you take and where you are. Well, I am gay. Um, When it came to my family, I didn't have so much the choice to come out. My sister outed me um, around the time that I was um, around 24, 25, I would say, that I was outed by my sister during Thanksgiving, but I got time to come out to my friends and to kind of spill their love. But I was outed actually during Thanksgiving uh, because I had first come out as bi and it wasn't exactly the best experience. I don't know how many people you've talked to who've been outed by their family members, but as an LGBTQ person, that's one of the most harmful things you can do to a family member. So, um, and not giving us that choice. Um, so, uh, that's how I came out. My, my, I was outed by one of my siblings and, um, I was just able to come out to my family in time around the time that I was 24, 25. And so talk about that in connection with your time in the LDS church. Was that before, during, or after? This was before. It took me many, many years to come out. Um, and I would say I used religion a lot before to kind of cope with coming out and accepting myself. Um, after leaving the church, I, I sought out like other faiths 
and didn't find much within them until I kind of saw this narrative within Judaism that I really, really related to um, and found myself not only becoming like theologically Jewish, but also kind of Judaism giving me the narrative in which I could kind of thrive as a gay man. Um, just kind of in its narratives of freedom and its narratives of community. Um, but it took a real struggle for me. And not only did I go through the church, but I went through other places just kind of wanting to seek out something to help me. And really, I found that the help really came in just accepting myself. And for those of us in the LGBTQ community, accepting ourselves, especially if you come from the rural South like I do, um, in a society that majority doesn't seem to accept you, it's, it's very, very hard. Um, and that's helpful for us. Talk about, talk about why sometimes, I don't think it's a weakness. In fact, it's recording this on National Coming Out Day. Um, <laughs> I believe it's today because it's been on my social media feed. This is October 11th. We're recording this, our listeners, and I, it won't be out on October 11th, obviously. But um, since it's that day, I've recognized that some people come out early and some people come out late. And I've tried not to say one person is weaker for coming out later and that they were not. It's just an individual journey. And it's not a sign of strength or weakness. It's just the way it is for different people. Any thoughts on that journey for you? Well, in my college education, I'm doing it in women and gender studies also, which is we we learn a lot about queer studies. And I would say a person comes out in their own time. Um, I would say there are a lot of factors coming into a person coming out. Some people might be even out as like I was, or um, a person may just wait because it's not the like proper time. Um, just this week in my women's studies class, we learned about a very famous um, activist uh, within the women's movement. And, Nobody really has found out that she was a lesbian until um, just recently. So she didn't come out about being a lesbian because during the 70s and 80s, when she was speaking for women and, and, and up for them and for women's rights, uh, she, uh, she didn't have that space. It wasn't exactly a safe time for a woman to come out as, as gay. So she chose to come out um around 2017 2018 even though she'd been with a partner for most of her life interesting so i i say people come out on their own time um but we we can't force the person coming out and we can't exactly um we, we have to allow the person to do it themselves what advice do you have for um closeted lgbtq people that might be listening well, I would say for those who are closeted right now that I'm praying for you, that um, I know it can be a very, very hard time um, in just the feelings and the emotions that you're going through. And that affirmation, the organization that I represent, um, and you being a Latter-day Saint person, um, I would say reach out to us um, and that we're here for you um, and that we will also keep the fact that you want to stay in the closet um, confidential um, until you're ready to come out. Um, but to know that there is a supporting community among us in affirmation and that as this Jew 
and this former Latter-day Saint um, prays for all those struggling in the closet um, because he struggled in the closet for so long every day. Yeah, and I assume your emotional health is in a better spot right now than it was in those days. <laughs> um, <laughs> talk about affirmation. Introduce um, affirmation to our listeners, Carl. Well, Affirmation is the Big Tent support organization that represents LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, former Latter-day Saints, ex-Latter-day Saints, um, and all those who would like to ally with us. Um, Our organization uh, has everyone from people who are in mixed orientation relationships to people like myself who are out of the church and another religion altogether. but our diversity is a very big strength. Um, it also allows us to dialogue across the board. Um, we are an apolitical organization. We don't represent any kind of politics. We just kind of want to be a supporting home for people who are LGBTQIA um, within the Latter-day Saint world. Um, I would also say we're probably the most broad-based LGBTQIA organization within the country because of our reach covering um, not only an international basis, I just cover the Affirmation Chicago chapter, which is a very huge region, um, covering the North Central Midwest um, to Eastern Kansas and uh, Cedar, I mean, Eastern Iowa and Cedar Rapids to South Bend, Indiana, to Madison and Milwaukee um, and Wisconsin to Springfield, Urbana-Champaign and the the five counties of Chicagoland. That's a big geography. Yes, um, but uh, affirmation is very broad-based, and I see that as a very big strength. Being a person in women and gender studies, I think this kind of this, the very fact that we can have conversations across the board. That me, as uh, a very an openly gay man um, who has become Jewish and left the church, uh, can have a conversation and have a friendship with a person who's in a mixed orientation relationship and have a very deep friendship with that person as far as having conversations with them, being a mentoring figure and stuff like that, that kind of thing happens with an affirmation. And I don't think, uh, I would say a lot of other LGBTQAI organizations that doesn't happen within. And I think it's one of our big strengths for us as an organization. Thank you. What what would you say to somebody that says, someone that's like um, gay and active LDS and wants to stay active LDS, um, what would you say to them if they say, I'm nervous about going to affirmation because I'm going to rub shoulders with people that have left the church and I'm worried that it'll increase the likelihood I'll leave the church because I'm around people that have left and people that may be in same-sex relationships. Any thoughts on that? Well, I say I would challenge them with the same question um, that a rabbi, when I just became when I became Affirmation Chicago chapter president, challenged me with. Um, I asked him the question: um, Well, how does this fit within halakha or Jewish law? How would I make this work as far as when I go to visit um, a ward meeting? Um, how 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 would this how would this focus? within my Judaism and how would I make this work? And he said, well, if you're not going to be challenged at all within your Judaism, then like, are you a good Jew? Um, 
why not rather be in those places that challenge you and that make you feel uncomfortable, like going back to the church? And I would say if, if that gay Latter-day Saints feel some uncomfortability with me being a Jew, kind of understand that iron sharpens iron. And in some way, we've all been through these kind of experiences. And it's good to see a holistic point of view, too, um, and to see that spectrum, as you've probably seen yourself, Richard. Um, I would say it would only help their faith um, to be around people who've left the church um, because iron sharpens iron. And we do need to be challenged in where we're at because we can't just be in this comfort zone all the time because that comfort zone's not always like a good place. Does that formation have a goal to um, people that are active, move them to out of the church? No, I would say affirmation exists, first of all, for support. So in supporting, supporting also means supporting that person's decision to stay within the church. I have many friends who are part of the church, um, who are active members within the church, Um, some who are in relationships with a person of the same sex and still attend their ward, um, still have calling, some who are um, in mixed orientation relationships who still have callings, and we all very much get along, but there is this respect for each other's spiritual path. And in being a support organization, you're never going to hear me tell you, Richard, that I think you should leave the church just because it might be a personal view that I hold. Um, but you will, yeah, but you are going to have people accept you on your journey where you're at. And I say, we are all on that, on a journey. And I do think the church is very much a, a a spiritual path for some people. Um, it may not have been for me, but that doesn't mean I can't respect someone's spiritual journey and where they're at on their walk. That's a good answer. Just a note of clarification. I, I agree with about, I agree with Carl, but there was one thing I just wanted to clarify, at least from my point of view is, you know, to have a calling in the church, at least a spiritual calling, you need to be living church standards. Um, so mm-hmm. if someone's in a same-sex relationship and there's a physical component of that relationship, yes, Carl's right. They're welcome to attend church, and hopefully they feel welcome. There should be no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in an LDS congregation, but usually to have a at least a spiritual calling like teaching or um, in a leadership it would be very unusual for someone to have a calling and not be living the church standards. Now, I knew people growing up that weren't even LDS that had callings in our ward to as work in scouting or help uh, help physical things like maintenance and clean the building and um, help on a ward camp out. So those may be callings and those, at least in my growing up, there were non-members that had those callings. So I guess in a way you can have maybe a, a less spiritual calling and more of what I'd call a physical calling or a good, you know, help us out calling that doesn't require a behavior hurdle. So just mm. just some thoughts on that. I I don't I don't think Carl or I either want to communicate that the local leadership in Chicago is doing something that's sort of gone rogue. Um, not cons- but I love what the local leadership is doing here, at least in some areas, making sure that everybody feels welcome, um, and that is consistent with our doctrine and consistent with the example of Christ. Are you okay with that, Carl? Do you want to? Does that sound okay? Well, I would also say. Um... A lot of these decisions, from my understanding, have went to uh, local and um, stake leaders as far as making those decisions on where LGBTQ people would be and how much their their lives are, quote unquote, monitored um, by the church. Um, and I would also 
add the caveat that modern prophets have spoke more of loving us and not so much these these kind of words of divisiveness towards us. Um, even Russ, even President Nelson's uh, talk at BYU um, just a few weeks ago, he focused it on love. He didn't focus it on these divisions or paying attention to it. I I see it more as I I think the church is asking that each each leader try and discern what God is trying to tell them us tell them about us. I wouldn't say that like the Chicago leadership has gone rogue at all in any kind of way. I would just more say that um, I think there's a spectrum of equality um, that happens within ward meetings, and I think each individual um, church leader does make their own kind of choice when it with when it comes to their LGBTQ people, um, especially with calling. So, yeah, thank you for that, and I I like President Nelson's words, and I love just the idea that everybody should feel welcome in a congregation. And I go back to the, there's no belief and behavior hurdle unless you're an activist sort of yelling at the speaker, protesting or wanting the church to fail by your attendance there. But most just want to feel the spirit there um, and want to go for community and, and spiritual growth and to receive personal revelation. And, and I would say that everybody should be welcome. Some, you know, it's not, it's a hospital. It's, we use some of these metaphors. Now I've always felt the gate narrows a little bit um, for the temple where there's a belief and behavior hurdle. Um, And for callings, I would say callings that involve teaching and leadership. Um, So that's just kind of the way I would approach that. Talk about, um, I had a couple questions come to mind. Talk about, and I love the way you answered affirmation. When I stepped in the space as an ally, um, Carl, and for our listeners, I didn't really, I knew about, I'd heard the word affirmation, I heard North Star, and I'd heard Equality Utah, and I'd heard a few different organizations, but it was kind of difficult for me to figure out um, where every organization fit, and if some were supportive of the church or, you know, antagonistic to the church. And so I did become very comfortable with affirmation. Our listeners should know that. I, um, and I like the way you're describing it. It's just affirming people's road. And there's a lot of people when I go to affirmation that are active in the church, um, that are keeping their covenants and this community and the support of affirmation helps them do that. Um, there's some that are stepping away from the church and they need still a support organization to provide spiritual um, nurturing and community and because even if someone steps away, I kind of grieve and I worry about that, but I do want that person to be emotionally healthy and have community because I think they'll make better choices. There's lots, I sometimes say there's lots of ways to live life, life off the covenant path. Um, we don't really talk about that pragmatically, but being emotionally mature and spiritually mature and going slow and making thoughtful decisions and not sort of turning to, you know, drugs and alcohol and the club life and um, that's that can be pretty destructive to someone as they're trying to deaden the pain they may feel in their life. So I, I've recognized on a pragmatic level the role affirmation can play um, to keep someone emotionally and spiritually mature and going slow and making thoughtful decisions. Um, so I'm supportive of affirmation, and, and I love that it supports people on their journey and is providing you know, just a spirit. And I, I remember going to affirmation in Utah and um, really touched by the testimony meeting part of that. Um, 
it's not an official church organization as we're both communicating some in case some of our listeners are wondering, but they sang church songs there. <laughs> it wasn't in a church, but it was in a convention uh-huh. hall. And I just loved hearing LDS songs sung and I felt the spirit there. And um, I was so impressed by the people that came up and bore their testimonies. I think all of them were LGBTQ and I, it was touching to me to feel the spirit um, with everybody that spoke, no matter what road they were on. And it just confirmed my belief that God loves all of his children. And I will just sort of leave um, judging people up to um, Heavenly Father and the Savior. And I, my job is to do what you just talked about, what President Nelson taught at BYU is to love. And um, because I think people just make better decisions and I think it's our doctrine. So are you okay with all that or anything you want? Because you were the affirmation guy. I want to make sure I'm not speaking incorrectly. Oh, I would say you you depicted us pretty well. Okay. Um, We've had some of your other affirmation leaders on the podcast. um, So you can scroll back um, to any of our listeners that want to. Talk about your event coming up on October 26th, Carl. Well, October 26th at the DeKalb Community of Christ, we're going to have our first uh, chapter conference. Um, It's going to go from 10 a.m. to 5.15 p.m. We're going to have a lunch and a potluck in between. Um, We're also going to be pioneering some things very new to affirmations, Um, one of those things being an allyship training. Um, we're also going to have youth programming there. And I kind of just want to invite everyone, um, if you want to learn about what Affirmation is about, come to the Chicago Chapter Conference, even if you're one of Richard's listeners in Utah. Um, <laughs> if you're here around the 26th, um, come to the call Community of Christ. Um, there's going to be an interesting keynote speaker uh, talking about bringing everyone in. Um, I don't know who he is personally. Um, very humbled by him. Um, I'm talking about myself. Awesome. Um, That's great. Um, I would, our, our conference is also going to be themed around this idea, uh, from Esther of such a time as this, um, um, in my talking to church leaders and my talking even to LGBTQ, um, members and just people who have left the church within the area it does seem very much like we need to have a, a, a visible presence. So as Esther um, sent herself between two worlds of the world of being a queen, but also being a Jew, um, very much so those of us within the LGBTQ community and our allies and affirmation in general stand between these two worlds like Esther. And we feel in some way, it's time to just speak out and to live into who we are in the Chicago area. So we're theming our, our conference around these, the words from Esther for such a time as this. I, I love that. Keep telling us about, if you want to tell us any more about this conference, how um, I love that. How do people sign up? How do people contact you? Well, you can like our, our Affirmation Chicago chapter page um, on the on there. There's a link to the event, and you can sign up on our Google site. Um, just the form RSVP. If you want to bring some food for the potluck lunch that we're having, bring it. Um, we're we are also going to have programs for youth there, um, much modeled off of the way that the Affirmation uh, International Conference has programs for youth. Uh, 
So youth are invited too, and it is going to be a safe space for youth and for everyone to talk about and to share their own testimony of what those of us within the LGBTQIA community mean to them. And we're also going to be, if you're struggling with this term ally and want to learn how to be a better ally and want to see what the church has kind of said about supporting those of us within the LGBTQAI community, I would say come and attend our allyship training because it is something very unique to the Chicago chapter, but it is something that we're hoping will become a standard for every affirmation chapter. I love that. Um, thank you for what you're doing. And is this new, Carl? Have you been in your assignment for a long time and these are regular events? Or is this kind of a new effort that you're spearheading here as a new president? Well, um, I would say I don't do it alone, but I have been in this position for the last four months. I am very new to it. Uh, but uh, we make our decisions collectively um, as a chapter leadership team. So it's not just all about me. I just end up becoming the voice sometimes because I'm the president. So That's good. Um, one of the Affirmation Board of Directors, just I'm, I'm kind of circling back to introducing Affirmation to our listeners, is my friend Bill Evans. I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Bill. Um, he joined the Board of Directors um, in 2016, and I'll just read a little bit. Um, one of the former top lobbyists for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has joined the Board of Directors for a support group for LGBTQ, LGBT Mormons. Bill served in the public affairs department of the LDS Church for decades, and through his work to to bring into being the Salt Lake City anti-discrimination ordinance has grown into an extraordinary ally of LGBTQ Mormon community, John Gustav Rathel said in a statement. Um, Affirmation described Evans as a straight ally of the LGBT community who worked with gay rights activists to craft the Salt Lake City's non-discrimination ordinance. And this is Bill. Bill was astonished by the graciousness of those activists towards him, even after acknowledging his role in the LDS's church Prop 8 campaign, the group said. Shortly thereafter, Bill was instrumental in opening up a dialogue between Affirmation and the LDS church, and was moved by desire to, of the Affirmation leadership to foster a positive relationship. Um, and so I was... Um, and here's Bill again. The grace and openness consistently showed to me by members of the LGBT community were part of the transformation journey for me. I am grateful for and honored by this invita invitation to enter into deeper service with that community on the Board of Affirmation, Evans said in a statement released by the group. And I, for, for me, it was as I stepped in the space a little after Bill, it was I was just glad that Bill joined your board because I needed probably pretty traditional believing LDS people connected with affirmation to help me realize it was a safe place. And mm -hmm. um, so it's been helpful for me. And I, I recognize the board of directors has a whole range of people, um, lots of LGBTQ, some that are in the church and some that have stepped away and, and you as a, as a chapter president in Chicago. So that's the beauty of affirmation and the role it's trying to play. But part of Bill's journey, maybe we'll have him tell one on the podcast was just, he was kind of, um, you know, obviously working for the church on Prop 8 and then met with the same sort of people when he talked about this anti-discrimination ordinance in Salt Lake, and they were just so kind to him. And it was just transforming for him, as it shares in this article, the kindness that was extended to him 
um, even in a really difficult prior chapter. And that to me is the beauty of affirmation, the beauty of what you're doing and what this tr- podcast is trying to do is is bring us together. You know, if we go to the 40,000 foot level of LDS doctrine, we're all brothers and sisters, Carl. You are my spiritual brother. Um, I believe in a preexistence and I believe we were both there and we both cha- chose the same plan. And so even though there's differences between us, I still look at you as my spiritual brother and um, want to find ways, common ground ways to work together for common causes. Any thoughts on any of that, Carl, you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I would say I'm I'm noticing something as someone in, in religious studies and both women and gender studies, uh, something I like to call the politicization of identity. Good. Talk um, about that. Con- yeah. Yeah. I would consider this politicization of identity identity as separate from identity politics. I know identity politics kind of at times has like a bad moniker itself, but identity politics are supposed to seek to liberate those of differing identities, such as women or LGBTQ people. Um, The politicization of identity, I I like to say, is this idea of that those who are specifically in the religious sense being influenced by politicians in the media to think certain ways about people that goes contrary to what their moral or ethic or even religious beliefs um, ask them so much to believe. And how that like clouds their judgment of a person. Uh, let's say if you're like a rural branch president or something, and you're watching a certain news show, and it, it's telling you how to think of LGBTQ people, and then you go within a meeting in private with with a member of your ward, and they come out to you, and you respond instead with talking, giving the talking points that you recently heard from that newscast and saying very hurtful words towards that person and not really realizing that the literally president Nelson, just not only within this last conference, but just, a, just a few weeks ago in this BYU talk emphasized this idea of loving your LGBTQ AI neighbor, even if you don't so much accept them or on the other end of things, if you are someone who is, out of the church, uh, like myself, and you're viewing someone who may be within the church because the church has, in these modern times, I wouldn't say forever, got in got in with more of these kind of quote unquote conservative causes. Um, that you view them as someone that you shouldn't trust or you shouldn't be around. We should we should really look and think about how much politicians and the media influence how we think about people and what our actual religious values tell us to think about people. Our our own moral compass tells us how we should think about people. And I think this politicization of the identity, um, it works towards making those of us of like marginalized identities um, either become a token or become someone to be ostracized from the rest of the group. Um, And I would say neither of those are really good things to happen to us. And I would say whether you go by the label conservative or liberal um, to really kind of understand and where you really stand as far as your religious values concerns towards these political and the, the, these, these values pontificated by politicians and the media on how you should feel about a person or how you should view a person. Because I would say I view the person who might ostracize me just the same way as I view the person who may identify as a progressive who tokenizes me as a gay man, 
who would say that I love you and accept you as a gay man, but not really exactly even give me the voice as a gay man, you know? That's interesting. It's very helpful. Keep sharing. So this politic- I would say this, this politicization of identity divides us. I hope, I hope that made sense with that concept. I do. And I just, I, I want to find ways to bring us together. And I recognize I've got to listen to voices that are outside of my natural circle to do that. And I recognize a lot of the voices outside my natural circle are trying to accomplish the same things I am. So you, I might say you're out of my natural circle, Carl, because you're in a different faith, you're younger, all these different things I said at the beginning, but I recognize you're not. And we have a lot of the same goals. And I can learn a lot from you if I, if I listen and try to understand things. And if I don't understand something you said, I, I ask clarifying questions that helps me understand. And sometimes we'll agree to disagree, but sometimes I'll learn something that um, brings us close together. And I really believe that I don't have to compromise. It's not like I have to sell out what I believe to, mm-hmm. to come together as the human family um, and somehow water down everything I and become like this, I don't know what the visual is, something that just moves with the wind and really has no core values. To me, it is the foundation of my core values and the confidence in those values that allows me to try to find common ground with my fellow humans. Other things you'd love to share with us, Carl? Well, I I would just kind of like to say um, that if you are a member of the church and you you don't accept me, I still accept you as my sibling. Um, I would say if you're a member of the church and you do accept me, you're you're still my sibling. If you're someone who who is out of the church um, and accepts me or maybe part of me as an LGBT as a member of the LGBTQ community, I accept you and you're my sibling. Um, I really want to kind of qualify the fact that we are all and resonate with you on the fact that we are all one human family. And I think we need to really pay attention within our own society of those things that would set to divide us apart from each other, from those things that would bring us together. Because I think in knowing what divides us, we can better be together in recognizing and being aware of what divides us, like this politicization of identity. I like that. I, I'm looking for a quote that I share sometimes when I speak in um, church settings, and it's a quote you may be familiar with from Brene Brown. Um, Common enemy intimacy is the opposite of truly belonging. If the bond we share is that simply we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is intense, immediately, immediately gratifying, an easy way to discharge our outrage and pain. It is not, however, fuel for real connection. So I see like um, protests sometimes, um, white supremacist protests, and I don't usually get political on the podcast, and I see a common enemy intimacy where white supremacists are finding community in this cause, but it's mostly a cause to take on another group. Um, the intimacy we experience is intense and gratifying, and it's and there's a lot of anger. It's an easy way to discharge our outrage and pain. So I recognize that when I look in the photos of someone in a white supremacist protest with angry faces, there's a lot of anger. And I try to think, what's the source of that anger? And um, and can we channel that anger in a better way? Or can we do things like you're talking about 
to help us see each other as not the enemy. Because I think common enemy intimacy just creates more long-term anxiety and pain and polarization. And yeah, mm-hmm. we, we sort of connect at first because we hate the same people, but it isn't sustainable and it probably affects us and our families and relationships. Um, now there's groups like ISIS that I really want to see destroyed that want to destroy me. Um, people that sell their children to sex trafficking. So there's real enemies, there's real evil out there. Um, but there's also just other humans that are doing the best they can on the path that they feel is best for them. And and I don't feel a need to sort of take them on. Any thoughts on that? Well, I would say within Judaism, um, there's there's a popular um, thought that I come to from the Rambam, Maimonides. Um, he talks about when having a disposition, that within Judaism, we shouldn't seek the disposition of, of being too too much of a radical or a zealot, nor should we seek to like not do anything or to fill anything or to just be totally to one end, but to seek that middle ground. But he says in seeking that middle ground, the one thing that doesn't qualify as a middle ground is is our is our hatred or our anger. Anger itself is there there isn't a middle ground to it. Um when we show hate towards each other, we, we're not really creating a, bit, a better society. That's my own commentary. He doesn't say that, but um, but the idea that we should seek this middle disposition between the two radical views at times being promoted towards us. Um, it doesn't help that our American society exists within such a binary at times. I would say as queer individuals, um, I think one of our great functions and I think one of our great callings as people of nuance, because uh, as queer people, we are of nuance. We um, we like people of the same sex. Um, the gender we were assigned at birth, we don't feel at times as our own, as our gender. Uh, you know, these kind of things are these kind of things are nuanced to the society that pushes such a binary. And I think we should recognize when this binary language comes out and understand that there is a middle ground between those. And I think as queer individual, queer people, and even those of you who are allies uh, could seek to find this nuance past all the anger and the hate. I would say this, these high holidays were kind of daunting for me, especially, um, I don't know if you've been following anything on the news, but um, right outside of a Brooklyn synagogue, uh, this Yom Kippur, someone, uh, a backpack was burned um, in like an anti-Semitic act. And two people were shot going to Yom Kippur services in Germany, um, two Jews. So there is real hate in this world and we really need to acknowledge where the hate is, but we need to really, really discern where that hate is and where that division is and where that division is within us and, and respond to that. Um, and I would say this is going to take the sermon out of ourselves because it's very easy, I would say, to follow what a what a politician tells us to think, or what a, what the media tells us to think. Um, but both of these kind of exist to get our reaction and to get us to lean a certain way, whether it's the politician working for the vote, or the media just wanting to get our reaction so more people would view them. So. Like we need to be self-aware of those things and how those things are seeking to divide us within and amongst ourselves, as like divide us as a human family, because it's it's not always good, and we need to understand where the purpose 
what purpose these people exist or why they are doing that out of that purpose. Um, very thoughtful. And I'm looking at a quote here from Elder Uchtdorf um, from the Quorum of the Twelve. I think he was in the First Presidency when he said this in April of 2017. And I'll just read four brief quotes. Fear rarely has the power to change our hearts, and it will never transform us into people who love what is right and want to obey Heavenly Father. Um, second point is one of the ways Satan wants to manipulate others is by dwelling on and even accelerating the evil in the world. And the third one is never look down on any religion or group of people. And number four, I don't believe God wants his children to be fearful or dwell on the evils of the world. And I think he's talking, I think you're both kind of talking the same language there, where um, one of the ways I believe Satan's real and wants to destroy us, but I believe one of his tools is fear and to divide us. And mm-hmm. um, and I see that in our political world right now. And I watch as, as I watch the different channels on TV, often it's not a fact-based discussion supporting a certain political platform. It's fear-based of the other side and most and much of the narrative is not factual of the other side and what their position is from a platform standpoint but fear based of what the other side if they get control of what that's going to do and i'm okay having a fact-based discussion on the different political parties but there's so much fear in all that narrative that i just quit watching cable tv carl because i it's not like i want to put my head on the sand and not be educated i recognize that it's adding to my anxiety and fear and stress. And that's not what my, you know, what I want to be doing in my life. So there's certainly a lot of that. And, and I, mm-hmm. and that to me worries me about society. And, and so, and I worry about sometimes we say just a general statement like the family is under attack. And sometimes that's code for LGBTQ people. So, and I've recognized that that phrase that we sometimes say, the fear, the family's under attack. If I'm a LGBTQ person that's LDS and wants to stay in the church, that feels like you're talking about me to some. Um, but so I think it's better um, for us that are Latter-day Saints, the family is under attack, but it's better to say who is attacking and what is the outcome. And so I look at things like obviously a mass shooter, the family's under attack from a mass shooter because he wants to kill people, and that destroys the family. Um, and there's lots mm-hmm. of examples. Um, not having enough health care, some would say that that's, you know, obviously um, not having enough health care, the family's under attack because there's not enough health care, and that creates family crises, um, financial crises, medical crises, um, people have to work multiple jobs to cover bills and that sort of um, families under attack. So I think you know this, so I'm not really preaching anything to you. Um, but just well, I listeners... also think we, we get into localized thought on some things too. Like uh, what life for me, like here in, in the Chicagoland area is definitely different from life that you have within Utah. There are some very, there are some similarities, but I mean, there, there are very unique differences. Just as me being an LGBTQ people and an LGBTQ person in the Chicagoland area is different from someone being an LGBTQ person within rural Illinois um, and their experience of what they're experiencing in life. I think so much we get caught up with localized thinking too at times where it's very, very easily to think locally, but we live in a very global society and we're, I, Martin Luther King 
Junior said, like, we are in this, this great network of this inescapable network of mutuality. Like we really are during this time in, in a globalized world. Like what affects me or what even I may say on this podcast may affect someone um, in Argentina, you know, um, everything we do does actually affect everyone else at this point. And we, and it, I think it always has to some degree, but I think we need to realize that we are part of this, this bigger whole and not just within our own local area, even when it comes to thinking about our, our politics or our religion or, well, everything is the same this way because of where I'm at. No, actually it's not the same so much in differing places. People do varying different things. I like that. And I just wanted to add one last comment. Sometimes I think the family is under attack by LGBTQ people. There are some LGBTQ people that left our church and want our church to fail and, and all LGBTQ people to leave. And and so I recognize that, but there's also straight people that want that same goal. So to just sort of pin that on one group is binary to use some of your language and not nuanced. So I've kind of matured that I recognize, yeah, the church is under attack and there are people that want the church I love to fail, but to just pin that on one group of people or one political, I don't think most people do that, but I think it's just a maturing of understanding who, who poses a threat to our church. I want our church to succeed and grow and more people to join, but also want to not mint angry former members in a way, Carl, um, if we really, if our narrative is so, so, um, difficult for people that have stepped away that it makes them really angry. So that's why I'm kind of, you know, you're obviously somebody uh-huh. that has met, we've managed, I think that's a credit to you, um, and your maturity and maybe a credit to the, the LDS people have stayed in your life that haven't made you angry with the things they've said. And maybe they've said some unkind things at times, but it seems like you've navigated this road. Um, in a really thoughtful way. And I appreciate that. And I think it suits you well for your job at affirmation. You're kind of natural for this. Um, and so I'm grateful that you're the keynote speaker at this event on October 26th. And I invite all our listeners, um, that can go to go and just learn how we can better support our LGBTQ friends and how we can build bridges of understanding and communication to bring us together. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share, Carl? Well, you talked about the family being under attack. I think when that language is sometimes employed, I don't think we kind of understand that we are part of that one human family um, because like the idea comes in that we are divisive as, as like whether it's an LGBTQA person kind of saying, just look at me, treat me like a human being or a woman just asking to have a lot of the same equality that we as men have that the the person becomes the other or even me disagreeing with someone who holds totally different political views like understanding that i'm viewing them as the other and i don't think that should be the first thought we go to i think the first thought we should go to is this is my family member this person is a part of the human community as much as i am and what what I say to this person will not only affect this person, but affect all of us. And the way I treat this person will not only affect me, but it will affect all of us. Um, we're in the struggle together in life. We're not apart from it. Um, if anything, from my speaking to church leaders and church members in this area, um, this very common struggle of 
I love you all with my LGBTQIA family um, comes up and I'm strug and I struggle with it and, and people just telling me I struggle with some of the words that come out of the church at times because it's hurtful for me too as just an ally to your community. Um, I think kind of understanding that we are this family and we don't only struggle, we don't only, we're not only together in the good things and we can't only choose to be together in those good things that can happen to us, but we have to be together in the struggles also. And the, some of the biggest, and one of the biggest struggles I think of our time is accepting each other. I love that. Um, so I think we'll end with that. That's just great, Carl. And there's been a great spirit here and a great, I like in that these podcasts are potentially difficult to do, but on the other hand, there's some of the best podcasts we do. When I talk with someone like Carl and, and as I introduce this podcast, potentially with all the differences we have that we can come together and find common ground. And that's the beauty of, of what Carl's doing. And it's a, you know, Carl, um, I want to spell his name. So if you want to find him on Facebook or it's K A R L M A L C H U T Carl, um, Malhut is how Carl's name's pronounced. So Carl, you're a friend and I wish you the best in your life. And I wish you success at affirmation. You're a caregiver, which I understand is taking care of people that are in a really tough spot physically. Um, you probably provide a lot of emotional support. It's kind of off the record. Um, and you're just doing a lot of good in society. I just sent you a really good man. Um, and, trying to do the very best you can in your own life and to support other people's in your life. And our world is a better off place for you in it, Carl, and the things you're going to do. So thank you, Carl Malhut, for being on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. And thank you, our guests, for listening.